Hi, it's Anthony Fury. Thank you so much for joining us here on Full Comment. I could come up with some elaborate introduction for today's topic and today's guest, but let's be honest. Today's guest is the iconic Rex Murphy, so what more do I need to say? Okay, well, let me say at least this then. Rex and I are going to focus our conversation today on the dismantling of and disrespect for Canada and its institutions under Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. How's that for a trigger warning? Rex, hello, sir. Welcome. And how are you today? I'm doing all right. How are you? Uh, I got a bit of a cold, so I'll warn your listeners if they hear something that sounds like uh, the abominable snowman trying to get out of a drift. That's just me hacking. Okay, we'll consider it maybe something of a metaphor for the theme for the topic here. That something is is, is clouding things. Something is yeah, something's getting in the way. So, something something viral and plague like. <laughs> You've been writing a lot about about the institutional morass that is perhaps yeah. coming over us here in Canada, and there's a bit of inertia behind it, but it also seems like it's a bit willful on the part of uh, the current occupant of, I won't say 24 Sussex Drive, but that, that little cottage he's hanging out in these days. What's going on with Justin Trudeau and our institutions? Well, let's take the extremely most recent. Uh, as we are talking, it was yesterday that we had uh, the appointment of what I'll call an interim uh, governor general. In other words, the previous one, as everybody knows, uh, either got dismissed or finally got bored enough to leave. The point I'll make on that is that a governor general, at least in symbolic, and here's the term we all like to use, the iconic terms, is the highest of the highest representatives that the constitutional uh, or monarchical democracy of Canada has. When Ms. Payette left, it didn't seem to be of any urgency whatsoever that right. that particular role should be filled. It, it was it just passed by, took its time, and now that we're in in in, in smelling distance of what looks like an opportunistic election, okay, I think we better appoint a governor general. Now that's just an illustration of a, a much graver and much more extended demonstration of the casualness or the indifference with which Mr. Trudeau has approached what used to be the venerable traditions of Canada. I start, COVID gave some cover to this, but the dismission and the sidelining of parliament and parliamentary function for almost a year and a half, uh, and these little pathetic, I, I call them Brady Bunch Zoom calls to the highest institution <laughs> in the country. We had, uh, again, others have pointed out the same analogy, but we had 18 and 19 and 20 year old grocery clerks. And by the way, we should honor them and at least give them a tax break. They were the only ones that stood up for the whole damn thing. Yeah, They could show up to work every single day, but you couldn't get even a portion. I'm just saying a portion of the national MPs and cabinet ministers so, hey, 20% of them, it's a big room to show up every day because this is the House of Commons. This is the government of Canada. Then you had, at another point, uh, when Mr. Moreau was still finance minister before he went on various wee junkets to enlarge his portfolio, uh, you had him at one point, I'm sure, under the instigation of the PMO, asking, oh, I wonder, could I have spending authority for the next two years 
without having to traipse down uh, to the parliament. I'd, I'd like to be kind of unlicensed to pass out billions of dollars. It was denied, but the fact that it was even asked for, it was it was a great injury to the very principle of our, our uh, commons government that the House controls the spending and the control and accounting of spending is the absolute center of its real power. And on top of that, again, uh, you have ministers being dismissed. Uh, you have, as I said, these empty virtual settings. You have the prime minister. This is the best of all. He let loose more money than, than, than Scrooge McDuck and Mark Zuckerberg combined in the last <laughs> year and a half. And where did he do it? Did he go to the House of Commons where vast announcements are made? No, he stuck up some plasticine tent and invited four or five of his favorite reporters every morning as he walked down the steps to the cottage and, 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 and executed expenditures, the greatest that we have seen since Canada was a country. These Oh, yeah, one other. This is very recent and a lot more, uh, I would say, charged. We know of the, the recent uh, uh, upcomings of the residential schools and the unmarked graves. We also know that following that, and we know, do not know by whom, and it most likely, I will make a guess, is not Aboriginals at all. Right. But we've seen 10 or 15 churches, churches burned down. We haven't seen the heritage minister comment, by the way, on the 104-year-old church of a native community. Right. But churches are, think about this for a second, an institution. They were the center of the Charter of Rights when it was first brought in. Religion has been around for 2,000 years, but there's been a very casual, from a prime ministerial perspective, a very casual reaction to, a, 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 here's a word, to an epidemic of arson burning of ecclesiastical structures. Now, I know it's in, a, in an inflamed context, pun intended, but nonetheless, when there is civic destruction of places of worship uh, under any kind of banner, under any kind of motivation, it is to be condemned. And, and others have pointed out, perhaps if it were uh, a less familiar traditional religion, there would be all sorts of condemnations, but he seems reluctant and slow to come out on this one. So to wrap it up, and it should, should be wrapped up, he has taken a very light, a very casual, a very disinterested uh, engagement with the institutions of the commons, with the principles of accountability, with respect for the commons itself. And it seems to be that this particular image government, if it can fix the focus so individually on himself, that may have been the point of all those announcements on the back of the cottage, because it made a singular image. Whereas in the House of Commons, even if it was uh, virtually 30 or 40 people only, nonetheless, he would be in a, a group. So yeah, we've, we've lost the Canadian understanding of why these things count. We don't realize that institutional strength is part of the bindings of democracy. And the more we dismiss traditions and habit and statues, uh, the more we weaken our hold on who we were and who we are. 
if I can be so bold, I want to add one thing to the list. And it goes back a number of, number of years. He was he was already liberal leader, but he hadn't become prime minister yet. And I, I always remember this day. I was still living up in Ottawa when it happened, when Trudeau banished, banished liberal senators from the Liberal Caucus, and he got rid of them. And we were all told, oh, it was this genius thing, because he's actually making them independent senators, and blah, 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 and we were given all of this spin and so forth. To me, that was such a, I don't know what to call it, like a Maoist move. It was the end of, of institutional respect in terms of your elders, in terms of you know the, the record keeping of what, what the Liberal Party had traditionally been. I mean, that was him kind of saying, all right, you know, this is the end of history. Now it's Trudeau moving forward, and, and wherever I want to personally take this thing. Well, the, the the very precise word for it is simple. It's it's imperious. Hmm. Uh, I own the chair now, and whatever I say goes. And again, he he does have certain assistance in this, in in that his 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 physical disposition, his presentation, the looks, uh, makes him seem to be uh, not harmless, uh, but a very agreeable person. Uh, the smile is is wide and permanent. Uh, and the manner is gentle and soft-spoken. But when you look at the actual mo motions, I mean, who, who was he to declare a change in the, in, in the function of the Senate? Who was he to ask that, uh, I think we'd like to expend billions and billions of dollars without parliamentary approval just for a, a couple of years? Who was he to be the first prime minister in history not to have a budget every year. We had to wait two years for a budget during the greatest expenditure, at least since the Second World War. And we still know very little about this $450 billion. It's simply too large to have been accounted for. The Auditor General, there's another disrespect, the Auditor right. General was denied the supplementary funds needed to at least attempt to keep track of all these things. So yes, uh, it ties into, and I don't want to overdo it, but it can't be ignored. The earlier statement, which is now a classic in the memory of those who have a memory for politics, is that Canada is the first post-national state. Yep. It has no core values. What in the name <laughs> of a subsidiary god is that supposed to mean? What are you prime minister of if you have no idea of what the central essentials of a country of this age and span and history and accomplishment where's the affection for it if if there's no center what is the canadian identity now and he said there isn't one so there you go blank slate tabula raza he gets to remake it i mean it's really it's paint by numbers color your world right now canada i i don't know it's a hard thing to, to kind of grasp but you know when you hear these i regard it as moronic it's like coke is it was a slogan i think somewhere in the 70s coke is it right maybe you just stop for a <laughs> second it, it it is so absolutely infinitely vague the it could be anything and everything or nothing and we have now build back better well what was torn down we're talking about an epidemic a medical catastrophe there were no structures taken down there were no buildings burst off we didn't cancel the, the present infrastructure we didn't stop the oil industry the car industry this is not a war in any any efficient non-metaphorical sense but now that we've spent the, the best budget we've ever ever had and we're drained of money there's this weird thing about we're going to build back 
Oh, but by, by the way, don't worry. We're not going to build back worse. Uh, we, we've opted. We we we've opted. We've opted to build back better, and that's supposed to surprise you. The, the last adjective. I mean, these are these are nonsense statements, but they they operate as functioning slogans in this new slouch world that we have. And by the way, I should toss this in because it sounds not too one-sided, but too dedicated. The conservatives have been pathetic, with the exception of one or two, and you know who they are. But the conservative opposition to this and the strength of their voice, uh, the dedication and energy they should be putting into pointing out the deficiencies, especially during this medical panic, the, 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 the incompetence at the beginning, not the ban flights, ban flights, racism, non-racism, get the vaccines, no vaccines, ventilators. This has been one of the most mismanaged, dire crises of our time. And you almost have to, well, you have to read you and some other people to get an idea that all things are not well. They don't want the big uh, questions. That's the problem with the conservatives, with any opposition. Opposition all across Canada has failed. They don't want the big questions. I know in Ottawa, they're just so caught up in questions of process. So they lo they love the We Charity thing, which was obviously an atrocity, and they should because it was all about who gave this document to this person. Yeah, what yeah. They love the process, but the thing with the pandemic is, you know, it's the it, it's the big. It's do we actually need to be responding this way in the first place? Maybe well, dare I humbly suggest that maybe you know all these crazy restrictions are all entirely necessary but yeah. no the Aaron O'Toole would not touch a single bit of it. well again I, I think it even goes beyond I agree with you there that you you take this specific issue you see that also in the NDP I mean Jagmeet Singh uh, more or less is Siamese with politically speaking uh, with Justin Trudeau but every now and then Charlie Angus on the Wee scandal uh, provides a rocket uh, of opposition but you notice it's very specific. It's always the one issue. But I'd go further than you. It's not that the opposition doesn't take on the big issue, and there are a couple of the big issues. If Mr. Trudeau maintains we have a post-national, non-core identity, why is it Mr. O'Toole or his predecessor, Mr. Scheer, why aren't they spelling out a unified idea for Canada? I mean, I love this one statement by the former Trudeau. I thought it was good then. I think it's good now. Who speaks for Canada? There has to be one voice that speaks of its central themes, its necessary preoccupations, the mood of the generality of its citizens, the things we most we, we most adore from our past that emphasizes the continuities and the sustaining ideas and themes and relationships that make us a unit. But in the present context, we've under the liberal idea anyway, it seems a the national idea is some distant, vague miasma that they can't even even determine what it is. But secondly, they are fascinated. They are fascinated by the subsets of the subsets of the various groups. If it's not a, a sexual alliance, they go mad for all of the parades. Well, that's fine. But then it will be something else, and then it will be grievance studies. It will be all these subtopics. What will we do about conversions here? I'm not criticizing this, but they break down everything to an atomic scale, and they got one policy for one particular group. They got another policy for that. They emphasize group or racial identity right. or sexual identity. Listen, 
the first identity of every Canadian who is a Canadian acting in his or her civil moment, not at home, in her civic, in her civic being, is citizen. There's the one we're all on the same page. We all share the same curry. We all are citizens of a common enterprise called a country called Canada. And I would like to hear the word citizen a hell of a lot more than I hear all of these subsets and subcategories. I know we must do this and know for A, B, C, D, E, F, G. There is a thing called the Canadian citizen. There are 10 provinces and three territories. They have common things. They have lasted for, in some cases, 150 years. We are bound together. We've been in wars. Remind us of why we are a country as opposed to a splinter group of loosely aligned or sometimes hostile provinces. And within the provinces, one group or subset striving to get advantage or, or, or opportunity ahead of another. It's extremely divisive. I mean, it, it, it's really splitting it people into these different groups. Whereas I don't, you know, Canada Day, for instance, we were just told we're not allowed to celebrate Canada Day because this, that, and the other, and the splinter groups and so forth. I don't know why they don't do more to step forward and say, you know, whatever is, let, let's talk to your point about parades and LGBT rights and so forth. Why don't we point out the fact that, well, there's gay and lesbian folks in uniform in every police force, or they're, they're out serving the Canadian Armed Forces. They're putting their life on the line for everyone. There you go. We're, that's a rallying thing, bringing us all together. I mean, that, uh, talk about that stuff. Celebrate that. But, oh, no. Well, again, Let's focus it, it, on it the is, divisive aspect of it instead, which is, it, is very it, frustrating. It, it is always pointing out the individual characteristics of the collectives concerned and highlighting their disparities or their grievances. And all you're doing is setting up a, a terrible contest between one group who has an ascendancy one moment, right. the Me Too movement, at its grand moment, then Black Lives Matter, and every now and then. But where's the collective understanding? Where's where are the appeals or or the support for the idea of us all? I you know, this is the weakest time that Canada has been. I remember '67 when they had the Expo and it was in Montreal and there were ruminations of Quebec. But that even if it was amateur or something of a Disney World moment. It was still a happy time. Right. By the way, there's nothing wrong with occasional and controlled bursts of civic happiness. And there was a there was a spirit abroad in Newfoundland in northern Labrador in, in BC that yeah, we know we got all these faults and we know we even have crimes. But we also had so much more. We built so many good things. We've had so many good people. We've had sailors that jumped off of storm tossed ships we've had soldiers who went to war we've had mothers who cared for children in circumstances that you cannot imagine in other words we've had the heroics of the ordinary people and the heroics of the standard hero there's a great saga here but no no come up to the most recent 150th anniversary i wrote about this for sure i don't even know if we if we were aware that we were celebrating 150 it was so yeah. flat so low-key, so uninspired, and usually came because Mr. Trudeau was so good at this, he's a specialist, some sort of daily apology for something. Oh, he, he totally did that then. It was outrageous. And, and you know, a, a little quibble that I've always been meaning to make about Canada 150, the headline musician up there on the stage with Justin Trudeau and Sophie, the headline musician for the performance, Bono. 
from YouTube. Oh, and I'm like, Lord, excuse Lord, me? Lord. Like, you know, why? Because it's, you know, his buddy and the globalist, this and that, and all the issues. They no, no, no. Canada 150, what you do, you get on the phone to the managers in LA or wherever they are, to Brian Adams' manager, to Celine Dion's manager, and you say, all right, you're either going to be here July 1st or the RCMP is going to come and take your passport and make you perform on this stage. You get Brian Adams. He just kicks butt with the, you know, that album back in the 80s. My Lord, that's Canadian. A Bono. Really? No, because it was just a reflection of Trudeau's own issues. I think think at that time, by the way, I mean, you had in some sort of Parnassus peak, you had Leonard Cohen. (laughs) Yeah. And you had in another place... I admire greatly uh, his lyric gifts. Gordon Lightfoot, this yeah. man has been writing quite amazing songs. I'm even leaving the music temporarily out of it. Uh, these these yearning, nostalgic, uh, melancholy pieces he puts together are very powerful language. So you know, you've got the intense talent to put on a Canadian, and by the way, so many, many more. You've got them, not the state performers, not the ones you're always looking at. Right, right. But there's a harvest of extremely competent, extremely artistically accomplished people. And you don't go to Bono. You go to Bono when you want to put a rubber band on your wrist and pretend that you're (laughs) you're saving the African poor. Ah, that is something. Yeah, I mean, it's so emblematic, I think, of the Trudeau kind of headspace and you, you mentioned the auditor general and disrespect for that and it made me think of yeah. um the integrity commissioner the no conflict of interest commissioner mary dawson and i'll never forget well i do forget yeah. but lauren gunter writes about it every few months so he always reminds me because it's it's such a it, it it's such a indication of trudeau's headspace where mary dawson sat down and interviewed him about the conflict of interest thing and so forth and and it was ultimately concluded well trudeau doesn't really see himself as like a day-to-day manager he does and you you said the word earlier rex the imperial thing he just sees himself as kind of this combination you know mascot hype man the guy from on high who just gives the directions the big thinker but you know don't bother him with the actual work stuff so that's why we can't really have a conflict of interest because you know he's not really doing the day-to-day work i mean this is what came across and Mary Dawson's interview with Trudeau in terms of how he described his job. Yeah, I, I also read that. It's again so casual, but I don't know. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's illustrative of even something broader than than a prime minister's reign over a country. Hmm. Uh, we seem to be wandering out of a lot of sensible, uh, conventional understandings of things. Uh, they, what, were, what were substantial understandings? substantial truths, truths that were true in mathematics and in philosophy. Uh, we become so comfort, comforted and taken care of and uh, not under the pressures that so many people of the globe face. We do not have famines. We do not have wild uh, natural disasters on the scale of tsunamis, for example. We haven't tasted civil war. We haven't had want it, it, since the 30s. I mean, in Newfoundland, if you got any kind of a memory, and especially if you remember your parents, you know the days when people actually did not have food, right. did not have shelter, did not have heat, when infant mortality was vicious, when tuberculosis was, when polio in the 50s closed the schools almost every year, and you knew a child yourself. You were lucky it wasn't you, your neighbor going around with his legs strapped to a couple of pipes because they'd withered from polio. But we've jumped so far out of that that I think we've become careless of all the gifts that we have. 
We don't pay attention to how we got them and we're not securing them. And so now we can afford to experiment in, in truly insane ideas. I notice, for example, that this, this trans phenomenon, that people are getting fired. I, I really cannot believe this. In certain institutions, universities, or corporations, if a man or a woman, but particularly a woman, makes a really big assertion that, you know, a person uh, with testicles and hairy legs and a loud voice and all that stuff, that right. he is a man and he is a man and he's not a woman, and the man can't be a woman, they get fired. I mean, where? why did we spend the last 100,000 years getting down from the trees and wandering through the plains till we get to the point where we have rockets on, on the outer planets and decide that, oh, you can call a woman a man if you want to, and if he or she feels like it, and we'll pass laws to make sure you do. But this is so careless that it's... And it's dangerous. The laws part and the firing part. And, you know, you mentioned civics earlier, Rex. And, and one thing that, that really disturbs me now is we no longer have a sense of civil society in terms no. of an idea of community that is something distinct from government. And the number of times people now look to a problem in their their community, yeah. their street, their wherever, even in their own homes. And they don't say, how can I solve this problem? How can we solve this problem? Let's get the neighbors together. Let's get the band back together. No, just demand it from government as this sort of like, you know, total absolute solution. I mean, where did this come from? And it really frustrated me during the pandemic that we didn't see enough community leaders step forward and lead. Well, again, I, I can't say how it came about, except that I do underline that with the emergence of these vast and miraculous, again, we've lost our sense of the miraculous, these miraculous uh, uh, technologies in the one we're using now. I recall, if you don't mind a slight digression, when I had to write a column a long time ago in Newfoundland, and I was 70 miles from St. John's, I had to lug out to the small table in the kitchen about a 200-pound typewriter, and then you'd <laughs> wrestle with that and put it on six carbon papers. Then I had to call a, a local bus, of, not really a bus, but it was a van, and I had to get up at six. In, I had to get up at six in the morning, rain, shine, or some, and stand outside the door till he wheeled by, and I would give him the six pages wrapped in plastic. Then he would drive it for three hours until he brought it into the newspaper. Uh, I would then have, if I was lucky because the phone service was bad, try to get in touch with the newspaper to see if indeed it had arrived. And then if they had any problem with it, they weren't going to spend another dollar and fifty calling me back out 70 miles away. In other words, it was a day's labor and some of the physical, the typewriter, merely to get the damn useless column into a newspaper. Now I can, I can be on the backside of the moon and write a book and have it down here faster than that. We have walked past all of these great miracles as if they were real. Right. And we have children who have in their hands more, more knowledge than the Library of Alexandria if A, they knew about it, and B, they could get it. These things have made us indifferent to and ignorant of the basic skills of being human beings. 50 years ago back home, any man that was worth a man, I wasn't one of them. They were building houses, building boats. They, and no one ever built a house themselves. The neighbors got together. They could put it up in two or three weeks. If a, if a, if a fire went out, if the electricity failed, 
there was always someone who could fix it. And, oh, he can't charge me for that. What? Well, where is that now? Where is it? certainly can't be in the cities because you don't know the neighbor in, in, next door to you in the condo, but also a certain kind of what I would call cheap wealth. Uh, you can buy big dinners or you can get a fancy coat. Right. But the real wealth is a bit of knowledge, skill, and independence. And the independent streak is the one that is most declining. And secondly, that's tied to this identity politics where you maintain that the collective identity is the dominant identity and is the agent of identity. It's a crazy idea, but it really has hold. The ignorance of specialization. I will say as someone who has small children in the Ontario school system, the curriculum is very troubling these days. And the other thing is it's pulled from the headlines. So right away, whatever the thing people is prattling on about on social media and so forth, whatever the, the kind of moral panic, social panic of the day is, it gets itself into the classroom almost immediately. And and, and it's it's happening in you know in all the classrooms. This isn't just I've seen, one or two I've teachers. Seen, I've seen part of the curriculum for the grade nine mathematics and science of the Halton School Board. And it's it's it, it's a social uh justice document there's nothing about numbers there's lots about colonialism imperialism homophobia name the topic this is in a curriculum for grade nine science and mathematics and it has more so-called social underpinnings it has propaganda to be blunt but it hasn't got numbers and it hasn't got experiments and it is not focusing on the thing it is it is required by morals and law to focus on. Build their minds, not inject them with prefabricated attitudes that suit your teachers or school board's perspective. And the problem is, what are these kids going to be able to do when they get out of school other than tear down institutions? Well, the problem also is if you're a reasonable parent and you see this, and they do because I was right. given it by parents, what does the parent do? Right. Should I take him or her out? This is not school. But no one really wants to say that. And by the way, where are the teachers? I know that there are sane teachers. I know there are intelligent teachers. Absolutely. There are careful teachers. They know this stuff is wrong, and they should be saying it. And I think that's part of the problem that throughout all of these different professions, lines of work, there's a whole lot of people who know. Here, I'll give you a great example. I write a lot about the pandemic. I'm saying this does not add up. And I'll get emails from very prominent people in, in various fields, uh, but in the medical field as well, who just say, yeah, I'm on board with what you've written or what your reporting has been. And I'm so glad this one doctor has spoken out and so forth. You know, please keep doing it. Oh, by the way, don't tell anyone you heard from me or my name because I can't or I won't because of X, Y, Z and so forth. Forth, even though this is the biggest crisis of our time. All right, see you later. As, as I, I've encountered this so often that it, it, it's, it's really, it is really depressing. Uh, we don't have to put our lives on the line when we go to a school board meeting and disagree with one of the school board members. And if we don't like a certain aspect of the curriculum, let's use that as the example, because it really isn't teaching mathematics. It's teaching some sort of vague ideological temporary and fadistic preoccupation and we should say to that school board look get that foolish stuff out of here 
and let's see a, a well-designed mathematics program and backup for those students who need it in their calculations and in their understanding of mathematical concepts. I don't want imperialism and colonialism when I'm doing the exponential equation. Save that for later. It doesn't take much courage. That's what bothers me. In, in an institution, in the CBC, in a corporation, some fool on Twitter says, I, I am offended by that, or uh, this puts me in an unsafe space. Well, enjoy your space, Mr. or Madam. How come the institutions don't have the courage of their own sense? Most institutions now have as their primary purpose either ducking social criticism or endorsing it. They do not do the business that they're in the business to do. Broadcasters are not more concerned with information and communication than they are with making the necessary adjustments, adjustments to fit the latest equity requirements. And in the present moment, the Black Lives Matter movement absorbs more of the thinking attention, I would say, of the CBC. Then how in the hell can we get our audience back? Everybody is bending to the wind of the moment. That is not the way to build a society, it's not the way to build a city, and it is certainly not the way to consolidate a country. Look, and I respect a traditional mob because you actually had to get up off the couch, you had to get the pitchfork from the garage, maybe you had to unlock the garage, and then you have to gather in the town square. I mean, it takes a, a little a bit of effort and you have to reconfirm that you're committed to it and so forth. Now the mob, you don't get off the couch, you just, you tweet, and the tweet is so short. I mean, it's it's not anything real, it's not anything serious, and people were supposed to go after people with these little things, and to your point about people losing their jobs, somebody writes one word, two words, one brief sentence, and that's it. You know, they become persona non grata, and this stuff is getting caked into the system more and more now, and we've got Bill C-10 and Bill C-36, which is all designed to just further punish people for these minor missteps that are most of them are just not things to get worked up about after all. And yet we almost want to legally codify this sort of like manic well, attitude again, that we have I'll, now. I'll offer one. There used to be, you know, you, you are, you're far younger than I am. So you won't remember this. Uh, there's no possibility that you can. Uh, but once upon a time, there was such a thing called uh, the press uh, and the news media. Again, it's so far recall. beyond your time. I don't recall it. You probably can't even fantasize what it is. And if something really stupid and really silly, uh, like, well, we, they wouldn't have known it then. But if they could have imagined that uh, some, some clown under a spider's web in a basement uh, said something nasty about a public figure or an employee, that the senior management of the company would immediately, or the universities in particular, because they're really good at getting rid of the people that they think might cause them some difficulty with the Twitter public. Uh, in the days of the news media, they would they would say, let's have a look. Let's find the person who sent the damn tweet. Let's examine how, whether it was coordinated. Let's see if there was a campaign. Let's mm. examine these things. Likewise with protest movements. I, I am so ill. Would you hear that, oh, seven protesters stood on the uh, Young Street uh, and barred off traffic? Well, a reporter would say that, yes, there are protesters. They do have a cause. But who are they? Are they official? Are they self-appointed? Did they just get up some morning and decide that they were this organization? Environmental organization. The environmentalists in, 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 in British Columbia are opposed to the old, old wood cutting. Well, who are they? Have they been at others? Is this their profession? 
why do they have more standing than their opponents? And on the Twitter and internet uh, mass mobbings, they should be, the headline news should be, hey, a mass mob of anonymous people has really attacked X or Y. If, if J.R. Rowling, J.K.R. Rowling, she makes, a, again, the point of, of, of history and biology that men are not women. There was a time this, this sentence was not controversial, and she gets hate attacked. Now, all the sensitive people, even in Mr. Trudeau's government, they're so against hate. <laughs> but when, when J.K. Rowling gets hated, you don't see someone coming out from the cabinet and saying, this will not stand. And a, a, a famous and an accomplished author, a female, a woman who worked herself up from social welfare to one of the triumphant figures of the world, is being slandered by an anonymous troop. We will find out who these people are, and we will ask them what's the basis for their hate. No, no, no. J.K. Rowling is transphobic. Where did that word pop up? You wouldn't see it in a dictionary three years ago. And, and where where did this lost art of disagreement start to crumble away? I mean, the the, the bottom line, J.K. Rowling, you agree, you disagree, you get on with your day. I mean, you hosted a call-in show for many years. People call in. They say all sorts of stuff. I mean, I get the emails from the correspondents. They agree. They disagree. You go out for beer. Someone tells you, you say, oh, did you vote conservative? Did you vote NDP? No, I voted for the Canadian Communist Party. <coughs> oh, well, what do you know? And anyway, then you order your next round of beer. I mean, I've I've been in those CBC green rooms where you're, you're actually shaking hands with the person who later on air you disagree disagree with well, it ain't again, that big of a deal people like you know some people like no. star trek some people like star wars other people have different political views i don't get why we have to crucify everyone now no no when uh, people especially on television and radio shows when they when the microphone is placed before them they adopt a persona the persona is one of their group their in group if, if it could be a race group it could be a political group it could be a sexual group there's all all sorts of groups but they want to be the collective voice of the whole they cannot they cannot by their own lights afford to have the slightest disagreement with the doctrines and they are doctrines they're doctrines as much as any religious doctrine was a doctrine in the age of religions and they know they will be blended as heretics have you ever heard a single environmentalist saying you know if the world is going to burn, and that's what we think it is, and we've been saying it for 40 years, then I think it would be a really great idea, even though it has its perils, that we introduce nuclear power. It really is the only one that is completely free of the, the emissions that we so fear. Or have you ever heard an environmentalist say, you know something, that last protest was infiltrated by people who have nothing to do with us, and they have no knowledge of the circumstance in which they are protesting. When have you heard ever, I know I'm slightly digressing, but when have you ever heard an analytic report of any major demonstration from the, the G70 10 or 11 years ago uh, to the late, latest mass gathering in, in, in Montreal or Baltimore? Where's the analysis, by the way, right. of a hundred nights in Portland that was, no, this is mainly a peaceful demonstration, says the reporter, as the three-story building behind him goes up in an inferno. The answer to your question is and what I referred to earlier. Once upon a time, a long time ago, there was a news media that had eyes, had ears, and occasionally had the capacity to tell the truth. That news media has shrunk and what we have now is performance art, and all the people who go on these shows, once they come on, they don the mask, 
and the mask is more real than the person, and the person has no conscience because he or she never really says what he or she really thinks and actually knows. All right. Well, speaking of things that someone older than me can answer a lot better than I can, was there ever a time, Rex, in Canadian politics when politicians weren't also donning the mask and weren't also total phonies in pretty much everything they said? Because I do not they, remember that. that well, no, there, there probably wasn't, but it was never, ever to the intensity and scale of this. It was never, uh, it was never structured and powered by systems of communication that are instant and mass at the same time. It was also a period when people were not quite willing to surrender all of their intelligence and all of their common sense to maintain visibly erroneous, in fact, illogical, paradoxical, oxymoronic ideas. A man is not a woman. This is not a radical statement. But again, and this is true, you know it, on campuses, in universities, in certain news stations. I even saw a debate on CBC where a woman was arguing that point, and the two hosts kept nudging her that, you know, you're, you're, you're transphobic. I mean, you're only a woman, so why are you? We have, we have genuflected. We have taken the knee to so many irregular and false notions and paid artificial respect to them. The triumph of hypocrisy has always had some attendance, but it has never been as full. It has never been as full as it is today. Do you see a way out? I mean, when we see things happening that are literally out of like 1960s China Cultural Revolution playbook, and you think, well, I feel like they get worse before they get better. What are the next steps? I can't project them. Uh, I really don't. Uh, it becomes, I'm not being, you know, shouting at it. Uh, it has become so absurd in so many directions. Uh, for example, sensitivity trainings, uh, unconscious bias. Oh, you don't know you're biased. I do. And I'm going to order you to take training. Uh, this silent consent to every wild doctrine that some unappointed, uh, you know, so-called radical throws out. Uh, the the cringe, uh, the bending to whatever is the opinion of the moment, uh, the the lack of courage that you spoke spoke of. It's not great courage. It's not like death courage. Uh, is at, at worst it's job courage, and in most cases it isn't even that. Uh, I don't know where it goes. There have been some attempts to remind people of rationality, of decency, of civility, of their connection to their own country, which most of them actually really do like or love. Certainly they like their provinces and the parts of the provinces where they live. But to demonstrate an affection for either of those areas, people are shy. We had a candidate day, and this is only days ago, when it's, it seemed like it wasn't. Seemed like half the country wanted to cancel it. What kind of country? We know we have deep and and truly, you know, outrageous episodes in our history. But we also have counter episodes. But it, it cannot come to the point where you say you disown by silence 
the work of 150, 200 years and multiple generations, and so many hundreds and thousands and hundreds of thousands of also good people. This is not a difficult concept. And we are making genuine efforts. They may have been sloppy, and in terms of government, they may have been grossly inefficient. But the soul of Canadians in the main is very much with those who have genuinely suffered, and there is a genuine regret, and there's a genuine impulse if the means is there to fix. This is not a deeply racist country. All of these things are now radical and Again, you ask how we, we pass it, I have no idea, because I don't see the resolution in any particular form. The political parties are only too content, content to keep up this kind of show, this charade. If we're going to have an election on conversion therapy, rather than the expenditure of $500 billion and the management of the pandemic, I think it'll be time to despair. But you saw conversion therapy walk into the news very recently. I mean, how blatant can you get? And by the I'll probably end it like this. If the conservatives can't really find a spirit and make a challenging statement of what they would like to see, what the country is, and what they will really do. Don't give me ads. Give me your heart. Give me your truth. Say what you mean. You don't need a professional communications firm if you've got something to say. I don't know. I don't want to sound despairing. Uh, I'm sure your audience is a much more cheerful bunch than the person you're having as a guest. Well, hold on. But before we go to wrap it up, to bring it back to what we were talking about with institutions, it seems like a lot of we're talking about festers most in institutions, in government settings, in bureaucracies, in academia. But when you look at those polls, should we cancel Canada Day? You find out, well, white liberals kind of like the idea, leftists and so forth, but, you know, persons, new immigrants and so forth, persons of different backgrounds, they're actually not so inclined to support that. We thought, you know, is Canada oh, no, a deeply no, racist no, no, no. country and so forth? I mean, I, I do think there's still quite a, a great sort of unifying, no, I, powerful heart and soul out there. And the us and them is just all the regular decent no, no. folks versus the elites. Well, I, I don't know of elites because that's the word I, I'm kind of teasing, but you're right on this. The so-called professional classes, the journalists, the academics, uh, the, 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 the classes that, that didn't get affected by the pandemic. No one lost a salary. Here, here's a simple way to answer by way of illustration, and I'm not making it up. I, I know, know still uh, a young woman in the CBC who came over from one of those desperate Eastern European countries where her parents literally had been persecuted, where her grandfather had been put in jail. And she was one of the last to escape uh, about, I don't know, 15, 16, 17 years ago and slip out of the nightmare uh, of an Eastern Bloc country and get over to Canada. And she's so pleased. I also know a Chinese family, my favorite family of all, uh, two kids, two parents, little education, but workers, They've been here for, again, about 17, 18, 20 years, working at very low-class jobs, happier than, you know, the, the angel in paradise. They've got a free country. Their daughters can go to the school. Even though they labor mightily, they, they have said it over and over again, how good it is. To, you can feel the pulse of excited joy in their answers. And the lady from the Eastern Bloc, when she finally arrived at CBC, I won't say her position or where. And after a while, I heard the kind of silent barriers to saying certain things, to adopting an opinion not current with the hard left. 
she actually said this, and others have said it too. You know, something, I thought I left this. Uh, Jordan Peterson interviewed the Korean lady Park, and she spoke of her, her in North Korea. And you imagine her life, escape, capture, prostitution, starvation. But she, she one of a million, escaped one out of a million. And she went to uh, Columbia University at the end of her great odyssey. And she found there, in a softer version, she said, this is, this is something like what I, I fled from, that the greatest, richest, most open countries in the world are putting a mental blinker, a mental blanket, and an emotional blanket over saying truths. And the press are corrupt. Three years of the Russian collusion. I know it's not popular to say because it's Trump. It was a lie. It was a damn concoction. It is a plain lie, but for three years. So, you know, uh, at this stage, we need to repair ourselves. And to get right to your point, the people who are not in the professional classes, the people who are not absorbed with the news, the people who are certainly not on the panels, they remain sane. I speak in, 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 in a town in Saskatchewan, Weyburn, at a, at a farmer's meeting a couple of years ago. This stuff hasn't corroded their minds, but the preoccupations of people in high places, in politics, in the high corporations, especially in the schools and universities, I don't know why they've wandered into this pit, but they're in it, they like it, and they want to impose it on the rest of us. So we should, be re we should resist, and I presume uh, that's why you're so noble in this career. And Rex Murphy, I know it's those regular folks of all walks of life who thank you for what you're doing. And we thank you for joining us today. <laughs> thank you, sir. You take care. See you later. Same to you. All the best. Full Comment is a post-media podcast. I'm Anthony Fury. This episode was produced by Andre Prue with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer. You can subscribe to Full Comment on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can help us by giving us a rating or a review and by telling your friends about us. Thanks for listening.